Well, this morning we are continuing on in a sermon series uh, that we started some weeks ago, a sermon series in the book of Proverbs. And we come uh, this week to kind of a crossroads in our sermon series in Proverbs. We've been uh, throughout, remember, looking at the way that Proverbs offers us the way of wisdom, how to live our lives, not just what we think of as the religious parts of our lives, but every single part of our lives under God's rule uh, to, to live our lives with the grain of his universe. And so we're seeking wisdom. And uh, as a preacher of Proverbs, it sets up really, really well for about the first nine chapters. For about the first nine chapters of Proverbs, you have chapters that make sense. You can kind of follow your way through them. The author is building an argument. When you make the turn from chapter nine to chapter 10, it can become difficult. Proverbs starts to feel like a greatest hits collection of something that a wise person once said. So there'll be a little bit here about parenting and then a little bit about the words that we say and then a little bit about the way we manage our money. And it can be overwhelming uh, to, to come to it and feel like you've got to preach the entire book in order to preach anything out of it. And so what we're going to do is, is the path that, that many preachers take through Proverbs is having come to the end of chapter 9, we're now going to be pulling, uh, looking at the rest of Proverbs as a whole and pulling out selections of what it says about particular topics. So this week, we're going to look at what the Proverbs has to say about stewarding our words, the words that we speak to one another. Uh, in subsequent weeks, we're going to look at the ways that we steward our money, the way we steward our friendships and our familial relationships. But uh, you'll notice that we are going to be in our scripture reading, pulling from a few different places in Proverbs, and I'll be jumping around a little bit from different places as I preach. So don't let that overwhelm you. We're trying to break down Proverbs and make it uh, so that it's accessible to you, both here when we're gathered, but then also so you can uh, make your way through it as you read it uh, on your own. And so if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Our scripture reading today is from a selection from Proverbs. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Death and life are in that power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. All right, you can be seated. Let's see if you can uh, complete this sentence. Sticks and stones may break my bones... That's right, this is received wisdom. It's, some, it's come to the point of a truism. It's something we pass on to our children. It's something that, uh, a saying that we all learn uh, growing up in our culture. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. In stark contrast to that, uh, the author of Proverbs says, as we just read, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So which is it? Both can't be true. Right, Either the words that we speak to one another and the words that are spoken to us are inconsequential, unable to ultimately uh, break our hearts or heal it, or in the words that we speak to one another, there's actually the power to speak life 
in flourishing to one another or the capacity to degrade life and to bring death to one another. So either our words don't matter much at all or our words are weighted uh, with an almost eternal significance. Which one uh, is true? Well, it should go, should go with no, as no surprise that we're going to go with the Bible over uh, this, this saying. But uh, you don't have to take my word for it, right? Listen to your own life. Uh, think about your own story. Sit down, if you sit down with any counselor, any therapist, and we have a bunch of them in this church. You can't throw a rock in this church without hitting a counselor. Um, and I don't suggest throwing rocks uh, at our counselors. Um, but we've been, been blessed with some really, really great counselors. Ask them, uh, people who sit listening to the pain of others professionally, hour after hour, week after week, whether or not words have the power of life and death. Is they hear words spoken in love, words spoken in hatred, words spoken in judgment, they have a profound effect on us. I mean, I bet I could get a pretty good feel for your life story if you were just to sit down and share with me the 10 most significant things anyone's ever said to you. I bet I could get a pretty good, pretty good feel for your life. Maybe it's the, the words that were spoken to you as a child by your parents, words like, I love you and I'm proud of you, and the way that those words have the power to, to create an identity and a sense of well-being. Or maybe in your household growing up, it, there was an absence of those words. You didn't hear them and have been living out of the lack of those words for a long time. I bet, I bet we could go back, and if I could get you back uh, into the perspective of you as a middle school student, I bet you heard words between the ages of 13 and 16 that have stuck with you as adults, names that you were called, labels that were placed on you. They cut deep in your heart. I know that I can, I can almost feel what it was like <laughs> to be back in a middle school cafeteria and to hear those words. Maybe it's the, the words you heard if you're married the first time you heard your spouse say, I love you. Words that, that got to your heart. Or maybe it was a, a moment of would-be love and vulnerability where you, you experienced rejection. Words matter. The words that we speak and the words that we hear they matter, and they have the capacity to bring either life or death into our hearts. And the author of Proverbs, well, he says that, he gives us this, this, this paradigm to think through it, that words, there's words that have the power to bring life, and there's words that have the power to bring death. And then the, the authors uh, unfold different varieties of what those words are like, what, what life-giving words are how to, how, to, how to speak life-giving words, and then conversely, what death-dealing words are like, words that cut and words that take life. Because if our discipleship to Jesus uh, is going to make a real difference in our lives, we have to get down to the level of very practical things, like how we speak, how we relate to one another, how we re relate in our friendships. We have to, to bring even our mouths and our words into discipleship to Jesus under his guidance. You know, we've said throughout the, the book of Proverbs that Proverbs are the wisdom of the king. They're written by King Solomon for the ordering of the community, right? So for, for a community where trust and life and humility and honesty and love can thrive. The members of that community have to learn to speak life-giving words. And so what are uh, life-giving words? What are wise words to speak to one another? Well, first, the author of Proverbs tells us that, you know, speaking with wisdom, 
Speaking with wisdom is more than just speaking truth, but it's certainly not less than speaking truth, right? To speak with wisdom, is the, it does mean that we speak truth, truthfully, that we represent truth as it really is. We're going to see that it goes beyond that. It goes beyond just saying true things, and it gets at how we say them. But, it, but it's no less than speaking the truth to one another. Proverbs 27, 42 uh, no, I'm sorry, Proverbs 12, 19. says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Right, to speak with wisdom towards one another means that we, that we speak truthfully, that we represent life and reality as it really is. What happens in our lives and in our community when we can't rely on one another to speak truthfully, to speak about reality as it is? Well, we have to look no further uh, than what's happened to our public discourse, right? If you, if you watch the news, you've been introduced to a few new words this year, right? I learned this year into our vocabulary, we've, we've accepted the words fake news and alternative facts, right? Those are words that we've learned over the last year, right? We're no longer our political conversations uh, these days, rarely even get around the interpretation of what actually happened. It's more about vying for well, what did happen? And who's to say what happened, right? And there's guilt on all sides. But we see what happens on a massive public level if we can't agree that we need to seek truth. We need to be able to represent reality when we talk to one another. And if that's the truth on a grand scale, that has absolutely uh, the same effect on a smaller scale. If at your workplace, you can't be relied upon to speak the truth, to, tell, to speak honestly, to your coworkers, or to your bosses. If in a family, you can't be expected to, to tell the truth about your own life and what you've done and who you are and what you're thinking, then trust begins to break down. It happens in a church. If a church doesn't desire in a community to speak honestly and truthfully to one another, you lose the basis uh, for real communication and real relationships. And so wise communication means that we, that we speak the truth always, that we seek to know the truth and to build trust in knowing that we speak the truth. But it's not enough. As hard as it is just to speak honestly, it's not enough just to speak the truth. One of the great insights of Proverbs is that you can speak truth, you can say the right things, but if you say it in the wrong way and at the wrong time to the wrong person or with the wrong attitude, you can actually speak the right thing in the wrong way and be wrong. Right? How many times, those of you who are, who are married or in a relationship, how many times have you become so fixated on your own rightness, right? on winning the argument? That at the end of the day, you go, you know what? I'm right. I may have won the argument, but man, something feels really wrong about the way that that whole thing went down. Right? If, if I was right, then why are we not talking? If I was right, why, are, why is something hanging over us? And you go, was it, was it worth it? Was it worth it to be right? And so Proverbs goes on to tell us that, that speaking the truth is the beginning of wisdom, of wise speech. But it has to go further than that. One of my favorite passages in Proverbs, I absolutely love this one, and this will tell you something about me. Proverbs 27, 42. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. 
If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. What does this mean? I'm, I'm not a morning person, um, and so I can identify with this. But what he's saying is you can be saying a good thing. You can be saying the right thing to your neighbor. But if you say it at the wrong time, early in the morning, and with the wrong tone, loudly, it'll be received as a curse, right? Your good intentions, your intentions to speak something good will be received uh, as a curse if it's spoken loudly and early in the morning. And so what this tells us is that timing and tone in interpersonal communication matters a great, great deal. And, and in all likelihood, uh, in this room, there are people who fall off of one side or the other of this cliff, right? There's those of us who don't like speaking truth, right? There's those of us who, in a relationship, instead of speaking the truth honestly, we're more likely to either avoid it, to avoid conflict, or maybe we spin the truth to make it more, uh, more palatable. Maybe we flatter other people, telling them what they want to hear. So there's some of us who have a hard time speaking truth in our relationships. There's others of you who have no problem at all speaking truth. You say, you know what? I'm going to be me. I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking when I'm thinking it. And we think about it, we talk about it as though that's a virtue. And yet the author of Proverbs says there's no virtue in either one of those paths. There's no virtue in being the kind of person who refuses to speak truth out of fear of its consequences. And there's no virtue in being the kind of person that just says, I'm going to say what I feel at all times regardless of what you think. The, script, the, the Proverbs say that's foolish. That the way of wisdom is to marry uh, both truth and honesty with kindness and tenderness, with thinking about how you're talking, thinking about the other person's feelings. Are you, are you presenting it in a way that they can receive it? Thinking about your own feelings. Am I coming at this one hot and in such a way that I'm going to bring a lot of my own anger, a lot of my own frustration? Am I bringing all that to it? So this, the, the Proverbs tell us that wise speech is speech that is both true and tender and compassionate and understanding. Right? I can think about the most significant words that have ever been spoken into my life. And it was always spoken by people that I knew cared about me, people that I knew loved me and would give anything for, for my good, but who were also willing to speak truthfully, even if it was hard, even if it was something that I needed to hear and didn't want to hear. If you're a parent, uh, this is the, the magical overlap of what your children need from you. The willingness to speak truthfully, the willingness to hold boundaries and to give discipline, but the ability to do it with tenderness and love and compassion, the willingness to think about, uh, am I speaking to my children in a way that's going to be received by them, in a way that honors them, in a way that, makes it that, that opens their ears? So good, wise, righteous speech is full of both truth and grace. But the authors of Proverbs also give us uh, other kinds of speech. In fact, it gives us kind of a laundry list of other kinds of speech, other ways that we speak to one another, that instead of building one another up and speaking life because it's seasoned with truth and grace, has a tendency to bring death. And I am just, uh, for the sake of time, going to list out five of these ways, although the, the book of Proverbs never ceases to come up with different ways at getting at them. But listen to some of these Proverbs. Uh, the author of Proverbs warns us against contentious speech. Proverbs 26, 21 says this, 
As charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. Right, so like somebody who drops fire into a house is someone who's always, their speech is always looking for a fight. Right, this is the person that can't start a sentence without saying, well, actually, you know, like, I disagree. You need to know what I, they're always looking for a fight. And their speech is always quarrelsome, always looking to, to bring conflict. And yes, these proverbs uh, do apply to social media, right? These are, uh, you know that you, we all have friends like this on Facebook or on Twitter that are always seeking to start a fight, always seeking to start an argument. But the Proverbs warn us against that kind of speech that's always looking for contention and strife. It warns us against flattery. Uh, Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes and a flattering mouth causes ruin. Flattery is the, the art of telling people what you think they want to hear. It's always speaking good of them over, over speaking honestly. And the Proverbs tell us that in a community, if you have a community of people that are always just flattering one another, always just telling each other what they want to hear, that over time, truth and honesty and growth starts to break down. Another one of the great insights of Proverbs, uh, the, the author of Proverbs links uh, flattery with adultery. Talks about the adulteress always speaking flattery to others. And this is actually, you know, this is, I think, really, really insightful. That usually adultery, uh, doesn't start necessarily with physical attraction. It starts with flattery. It starts when somebody who's uh, in, a, in a difficult maybe relationship at home, they don't feel like they hear uh, uh, encouraging and building up words at home. And then a coworker starts to say, well, you know, Steve, I think you're really, really funny and really, really bright and really, really wonderful. And you start to go, yeah, I am pretty awesome. Right? Why doesn't, why doesn't my wife t say, say that more? Or on the other side, somebody says to a, to a woman, uh, Sally, you are so beautiful and you look so good today. And you start to go, yeah, I haven't heard that in a while. And so flattery, start, you start to take those in and you say, these people really know me. They really hear me, unlike my, my primary relationship. And so flattery very often does begin the way into relationships that we never mean to start. So the author of Proverbs warns against flattery. He warns against deception. Listen to this one, 26, 18 through 19. Like a madman who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows, so is the person who deceives his neighbor and then says, I was only joking. Right? That, that, that to deceive our neighbor, to not tell them the truth, begins to break down the fabric of a community. Gossip and slander, chapter 11, verse 13. A gossip goes around revealing a secret but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. Gossip erodes friendships. It destroys honesty. It, it uh, cuts down on our ability and our capacity uh, to trust one another. And then finally, bragging, 27.2, let another praise you and not your own lips. Right? Gossip and bragging can tend to be two sides of the same coin. We tell about the sins of others publicly, but then we only talk about our own goodness. We only talk about our own strength or righteousness. And so the author of Proverbs lists these and others and says these kinds of speech erode relationships. They break down community. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, I went through a spiritual renewal course, uh, just Bible study kind of thing. And one, at one point in the midst of this course, uh, the teacher gave us what is called, and this is a, a course that's been run all over the country, but there's a part of it that's called the tongue assignment. Uh, the tongue assignment. You go, well, what's that? That sounds weird. 
Uh, it's an assignment for, for the course of a week to try as best you can to keep the biblical commandments for the ways that you speak, the ways that you use your tongue, just for a week, and to keep a journal of when you find yourself keeping it or breaking it. Here's, some, here's basically the assignment. It says, for a week, try not to do these. Don't gossip. Don't complain about anything in your life. Don't blame shift or make excuses for your own behavior. Don't defend yourself when you're caught doing something wrong or speaking hurtfully. Don't boast about anything. So don't do those five things, but try to do these five. Speak only good about other people. Thank God for his plan for your life. Admit it easily and quickly when you're wrong or you sin. Rejoice for what happens in your life and share your weaknesses openly and honestly. This is just a fraction of what the Bible says about the ways that we use our tongues, the ways that we speak. So I tried that for a week. What do you think were the results of that week? Was it me going to Haley and going, you know what, good news. It turns out I am really, really good. At, at, at this. I'm really good at speaking. I am more righteous than I ever thought. You are, you are blessed. No, of course not. It was, oh my goodness. I, I didn't keep one of them for a single 24-hour period of the week. Uh, there was not a waking hour that went by where I wasn't aware of some one of these that I was breaking. Right? And, and, and that was not an atypical week. It's just that the assignment raises it to the level of awareness. Right? But I became keenly aware of the ways, of, of the words that I speak over the course of the day, the number of them that not only are not building up, but are actually breaking God's commands, that are breaking God's revealed will for the ways that I'm to speak and the ways that I'm to act. And here's the bad news about that. Uh, this is what Jesus has to say. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says, The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of, out of what's in the man or woman's heart, the mouth speaks. Right? And so the bad news for me after this week, and not only this week, but what that shows about this lifetime of speaking, is that it's not just that I have a mouth problem. It's not just that I have a complaining problem or a bragging problem or a lying problem. It's not just that, my, that I sometimes have a mouth problem. It's that I always have a heart problem. And the hurtful things that I say and that I've said to others, the, the ways that I try to evade the truth, that reveals something much, much deeper about my heart. It's coming out of a source that's poisoned, right? I've noticed this about myself. When I do speak hurtfully, and we all do, and I do it more than I wish, when I speak in a way that hurts others, and I, and I realize that I have, usually I try to distance myself from my words, right? Usually it'll be something like, well, I'm sorry if you took it that way, right? I'm sorry if you misunderstood it, Maybe I'll get a little closer to my words and I'll say, well, yeah, I did say that, but what I meant to say was, or yes, I'm sorry I said that, but what I really mean in my real heart is, and Jesus will not let us off the hook that easily. He says, no, no, no. Your tongue is connected to your heart and it does its bidding. 
You can't always say that your tongue and the words that you say are out here, but you're something different. No, you, you, you speak. And the words that you speak do reveal a heart that isn't always loving, that isn't always tendering, that's selfish, that's angry, that's hateful, that's manipulative. We all have not just a tongue problem, but a heart problem. And so the, the path to change, if there is one, has to go deeper than just taking good notes on a sermon about wise speaking and going, all right, I got it. I'm going to speak honestly and I'm going to try to be compassionate. Oh yeah, don't do it early in the morning, that helps. It has to go deeper than just learning some tips for speaking more kindly. It has to go down to the level of heart diagnosis. And here's, here's the truth of the gospel. If we want to speak words of life instead of words of death, we will never, ever, ever do that consistently until we hear words of life, right? The words that we speak will never become life-giving until we've heard, until we've taken into ourselves life-giving words from Jesus. The Gospel of John tells us that there was one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, that this one, that this Jesus was himself the very word of God, the spoken self-expression of God, that everything God wanted to communicate to humanity, he's done in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, the one who speaks both truth and grace to us. He speaks truth, right? He doesn't let us off the hook. He tells us that your words do betray your heart. But then over those words, he speaks words of love and grace and forgiveness. Right, listen, think about the words that you wish you could take back. Right, I don't, I don't know what they are in your life. I know that I have some. I've got words that, I, that I've spoken that have done lasting damage to friends, to my marriage, to my children. Right, I've got words that I've spoken in anger or in haste or in reaction that once they're out, you can't take them back. There's no undoing them. There's a beautiful and tragic picture of this uh, that I came upon this week. This is a, this is a local grown illustration. Uh, Greg Allman, uh, the musician and uh, uh, musician for the Allman Brothers Band, he, di he died just last month, I believe, two months ago. And uh, he was a Jacksonville musician for the Allman Brothers. He and his brother Dwayne founded the band uh, as Jacksonvillians. Some of you probably know this history. Uh, but Dwayne died in 1971 at the very kind of, right as the band was cresting and just, you know, topping the charts. He died in a, uh, a motorcycle accident. It was at the height of their fame. Uh, Greg and Dwayne had grown up together as the best of friends. Their father was murdered uh, when they were very young. And so they grew up together clinging to one another as not only brothers, but as best friends. They went to school together. They played music together. They were enjoying the success of this band together. But as a lot of bands coming to success in the 1970s did, drugs and a certain lifestyle came along with it. And around that uh, also came some arguments and some tension in their relationship. And in his biography uh, called My Cross to Bear, Greg Allman tells the story of his last memories with his brother Dwayne. They had gotten in an argument surrounding money and drugs, and, somebody, uh, and Greg had, lended, had lent Dwayne some money that he had blown, and so Greg broke in in the middle of the night, stole the money from him, and then lied about it. 
And this is what he writes uh, the next day without seeing him again uh, after this argument, his brother died. And here's what Greg Allman says about it. He says, the last thing I ever said to my brother was a lie. I have thought about that lie every day of my life and I just keep re-crucifying myself for it. I know that's not what he would want. Well, not for long anyway. But the thing is, I never got a chance to tell him the truth. That phrase, I just keep re-crucifying myself for it, is a, is a tragic but a beautiful poetic description of what we do in our sin. What we do with the words that we've said that we know we can't get back, the things that we've done that we know we can't undo, right? We can't make an actual restitution for it or get, or get it back. And so we take it out on ourselves. That's a, a depiction of what guilt does to us. We just keep re-crucifying ourselves. We just keep making ourselves pay, thinking if I'm sorry enough for long enough, if I'm sorrowful enough, if I show this person maybe, if, if I have the opportunity, just how sorry I am, it will somehow wash with my own tears or my own blood the damage that was done. And this is precisely where Jesus sets us free. He tells us that you can never pay the price for your own sin. You can never be sorry enough for long enough or do enough penance. You can never re-crucify yourself enough times. But I have been crucified once and for all. As we just sang, Jesus paid it all. Right? The crucifixion of Jesus has done away with all of our guilt and all of our shame and all that we wish we could take back. He's poured it on himself. He's taken the penalty so that we don't have to remain a prisoner of our own guilt, so that we can hear the words that Jesus heard spoken over him. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is my beloved one. And I'm pleased with you. I love you. I delight in you. That we can begin to hear those words and to be defined by them, to hear words of life that can then come out of us as we speak words of life and grace to one another. It's a truth uh, that we speak the love that we've been given, right? That people who've been loved speak love. People who've received judgment and condemnation and guilt tend to speak those things back to others. But when we receive the word of God speaking love to us, we can speak love in return. You know, this week, all week, I have had a song stuck in my head. It, uh, it may not come as a surprise to you, is the same song that you heard these little children sing at the beginning uh, of our service, right? Um, it, oh, oh, wherever I go, oh, I, I will spare you the rest. There was a reason I didn't stand up there with them. But I, as participating in Vacation Bible School with the kids, this song is written uh, in such a way that, almost cruelly to those of us who listen to it all week, that it just worms its way into your head and then into your heart. And, uh, and soon you can't hear any of the, the great adult songs that you like and love and, and like to listen to or hum. All that's in your head is, uh, oh, wherever I go. It just, it's a song that gets stuck in your head, right? You know what this is like when you listen to the radio and a song just gets stuck in your head. And the way that the Christian life is supposed to be lived is something like that. That the music of the gospel the music of God's grace and his goodness and his love is like this song that we hear. And it goes into your ear, but it's not just supposed to stay in your ear. It gets in your head, and then it's supposed to work its way down into your heart until it starts to become the song that you sing, almost without noticing it. 
right? I'd be sitting there doing the dishes. Oh, oh, wherever I go, oh. right? It becomes something that just comes out of you without, almost without you consciously stopping to think about it. And the way that the gospel works is we start to interiorize it. It starts to come into our hearts. God's singing over us in love, as the prophet Zephaniah puts it. And then all of a sudden, it starts to be the song that we sing back to God in response and to our neighbors. We become people who sing and who speak truth and grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help the gospel, help the words of your love and your grace and your acceptance of us work their way down from our ears into our minds and down into our hearts. Lord, I have been at this long enough to know that the, though it may be only separated by a few inches physically, that the gap between my head and my heart is often miles wide. That often the things that I know or believe to be true in my mind uh, don't dent the surface about what I confess to be true and believe to be true in my heart. And so, Lord, I pray that for all of us that you would bridge that gap, that you would help the truth of your gospel and your grace to move just from our minds down into our hearts, down into our souls, that it might then make the journey back out our mouths and through our tongues into the words that we speak. Lord, that our words would be seasoned with your grace and with your truth. Lord, we pray that we would be your mouthpiece, your your spokespeople of love in our world, that we be people of truth and goodness, people whose words bring life and not death. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.